You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Listen up, our managemental loyal listeners. We are excited to announce that this podcast is a member of Jabberjaw Media. Jabberjaw Media is an independent talk and entertainment podcast network. Just this month, Jabberjaw added five new podcasts to the network, including three new music-based podcasts, Poor Taste, a cocktail-focused podcast, and Too Old to Date, a scripted comedy podcast based in New York City. These shows add to the already amazing roster of music-based shows, which have been a part of the network since its inception. Head on over to JabberjawMedia.com for more information on all of the shows. Are you looking for a new set of scrims or a backdrop for your live show? What about merch flags to have at your merch table or online store? Artistflags.com has the lowest pricing and the best quality around. Their prices start at $119 and they can work with you to keep your budget in mind while helping you choose the best material and sizes for your band. Use the coupon code MENTALFLAG to get $30 off your next order. I've personally used them to get flags for Darkest Hour, scrims for Lorna Shore, and many other artists in recent years. So thank you to artistflags.com. So head on over and use the coupon code MENTALFLAG, M-E-N-T-A-L-F-L-A-G, for $30 off your next order. Hi there. Welcome to episode 11 of the Managemental Podcast, a weekly discussion on hot topics in the music biz for the up-and-comers, the brand newbies, the beginners, and the aspiring rock stars tomorrow. Yes, the struggle is real, my friends, but let us help you uncover some of the mystery that is this challenging business of rock and roll. I am your host, Mr. Blasco, and I am honored to be here with you all today. As always, I am joined by my good friend, the co-host from the other coast, a record label owner, fellow artist manager, and South by Southwest survivor, Mr. Mike Mowry. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me back, Blasco. Um, I think when we were talking about NAM, people called it Namthrax or whatever it was that you come home with. And though I'm fortunate enough not to be sick, my voice is S-H-O-T shot. And that's what happens when you're down there running around like a crazy person, talking to everybody you can, talking over music, under music, around music. But what a blast it was, and I know we'll get to that in a minute. So thanks for having me. Nice. In the last episode, we talked about publicity and PR people. It was a really cool and informative episode inspired by a listener, so check it out if you haven't already. Mike and I have noticed that one of our biggest episodes was episode six, 
where we talk about getting signed to a record label. I thought it might be cool to dig back into this topic, but from another angle. So, today's episode was inspired by an article I found on the Music 3.0 blog by Bobby Ozinski titled, Four Things Which Will Score You a Record Deal Long Before Social Media. This is going to be interesting, so let's get mental. So, Mike, tell us all about South by Southwest as long as your voice handles it. Oh, my goodness. We could do three full episodes on it. You know, it's hilarious. First and foremost, it was awesome. I had a real blast. Why I like going down there is the same reason I like doing what I do for a living, being a manager. I like talking to people. I like connecting with people. I like meeting new people. And inevitably, each and every year, that happens. I'll give you a really good specific example. Because, you know, now that I've been down there a good 10 plus years, I start to flock to the same type of people, same kind of people, see certain friends year in, year out. But this year, once again, I met somebody new and who knows where the relationship will go. But this is a really good example of why I continue to show up to these things. Uh, Loudwire magazine threw a, a show on Friday night. They did one on Saturday as well, but I had already taken off. But Friday night, it was a Party Smasher, uh, the label that Ben Weinman from Dillinger does. Party Smasher event with uh, a new band that he signed from Sweden, a really cool band from New York called Primitive Weapons, and then uh, the U.S. debut of uh, that side project, Giraffe Tongue Orchestra. So all of that aside, show was great. Hanging out afterwards, chatting with Ben, uh, meeting the young band that was on on, you know, on first, and just talking with a guy you know that's in the circle, and turns out that he works at Facebook and does you know works in the music department. So we didn't get too much into what that entails right now. I was moving on to another show, and he had places to be as well. But just being able to meet that guy, get his card, and now following up, we'll see. Maybe you know with whatever Facebook's initiative is. On the music side, I can be one of the insiders now that I've got that direct connection. So that's really why I love going. And it's another good example to me that every year something like that happens because I put myself in so many different, you know, scenarios. And it's kind of hilarious. It literally feels like you live about five days within any given day. You know, because you get up, you do morning meetings. Uh, This year we had a panel. Uh, the role of podcasts in the music industry, which had several other Jabberjaw hosts, uh, which was a really good time. And down the line, South by makes that audio available. Mm-hmm. Saw some decent music, but in all honesty, I don't feel like South by is really about going to see, you know, and discovering bands any longer. It's cool. You do get to see some stuff. You know, Mastodon played. They were great. At the drive-in played. I missed them. Jimmy Eat World played. I was able to see them. They weren't great, but they played a lot of hits. Yeah, I mean, I think my voice is done talking about South by. You got any? Specific, <laughs> you got? Any, you got any specific questions? No, I mean, I was going to ask you about the uh, the the podcast panel that you were on. I thought that was cool, and then um, also too, what this is inspiring me to uh, make a notation of is that we should uh, dig into an episode about networking and about how important it is, and about how these young bands can kind of get out there and 
and uh, and grind it like you know like you did. So I think that's an interesting uh, idea for a future episode. Yeah, uh, it, it was really cool. I'll just continue to say, you know, when I went down last year, um, Jabberjaw, that the network that we're a part of, and you know. 14 other shows, which people can go check out at jabberjawmedia.com. I mean, it was in its infancy. And I think a lot of people, when I told them I'd started a podcast network, looked at me a little bit like I had a second head or, you know, they just didn't Mm -hmm. quite get it. And this year, I mean, South by in particular did live podcasts. They had certain shows apply. And uh, another one of our shows on Jabberjaw, Modern Vinyl, was able to do a live episode from there. Uh, It's unfortunate that I didn't get to check that part of it out because I was busy with other meetings. But um, it was fun. You know, I ran into Eric German, who was on our episode. A couple episodes ago. Yeah, you know, the attorney. uh, Yeah, when we were talking about an attorney. So it was awesome to see him and, you know, just... Really good vibe as a whole. You know, there's less metal at South By this Mm. year. Uh, The past few years, there had been, you know, just a bigger metal presence with, or, or, you know, even the Warp Tour scene. This year, Metal Sucks sort of had a showcase. They weren't going to do one. But then my artist, Darkest Hour, who is on tour and and the tour is sponsored by Metal Sucks, their routing just happened to make sense. So they did that showcase and they were great. So I don't know. I'd say as a whole, you're right. We should cover networking. It's such an important part of what we do. And inevitably, I feel pretty fortunate. And I'm going to guess you're sort of the same way. I'm networking all the time, but never actually thinking, quote unquote, that I'm networking. You know, I'm just talking to people, talking about what inspires me, asking them great questions about what they're up to. And uh, inevitably, that's kind of the way that I do it. But yeah, be a great topic for later on. Nice. Well, on this topic, bands tend to think that the holy grail is scoring a record deal. And I imagine a lot of that thought process comes from the need for validation of their art. There's nothing wrong with that, but in the digital age, a recording contract is not necessarily the end game. Many a career has been established at the hands of many independent artists, but nothing can change the fact that whatever your goals are, if you want an actual career in this business, you need to build some kind of foundation and fan base with your music. Myself and many others put a lot of stock in bands that can build a strong social media presence early in their career. However, I recently came across a post written on Music 3.0 by Bobby Ozinski that somewhat argues my position and kicks it back old school. He writes, It wasn't long ago that A&R execs at record labels were scouring the online platforms looking for acts with the high view numbers, page visits, or likes. All that's changed as artists and their webmasters become more sophisticated in gaming the system by using bots or fake users to drive up their numbers. Today, you can easily purchase big numbers of views or likes for a relatively small amount of money. But does that actually help you get that elusive record deal? Mike, any thoughts on the the bots and the, the buys of likes? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I remember that was happening quite a bit, I think a little bit earlier on. And I feel, you know, one of the things that me and a number of others were chatting about down in Texas at South By was, you know, we're just moving towards this industry of transparency. And I think 
there's always going to be a way to to game the system. I mean, I had a lot of people congratulating me on the work that we done on our label side with the artist Lorna Shore, where we got them to a nice chart position. And, you know, I told them, look, it's not that we use bots or anything fake. We used all real tactics, but, you know, we really had to to push in a way that, you know, maybe I, I hadn't had to do in quite some time. But I just feel as if, like, you know, everybody's trying to get these quote-unquote chart positions, and eventually, when sales probably completely stop, you know, aside from like maybe the vinyls or whatnot, and we really become a streaming economy, all of that stuff, it's going to be much, much harder to to actually fake. What What do you think on it? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you see that that stuff go down. And it's more interesting when you see it go down semi-effectively in that, you know, there's a there's a label guy and a, and a booking agent guy that we both know and work with and most recently got bamboozled by some band with fake view counts. Because, you know, we're getting the phone calls of like, man, like you should step on board, man. This is going to be the next big thing. You know, the fucking video is blowing up and you go, guys, look at how little comments there are. This is clearly bullshit. Like all their other videos have very low view counts, but this one video has a lot of view counts, but there are no comments. That is a huge red flag. This is all fake. And you know, you got you, you got to be careful, but it's it's uh it's interesting that it's going down. Anyway, he goes on, gone are the days of ANR executives scouring artist social media to determine an artist's popularity. Now these executives have in many ways fallen back on older methods of gauging whether an artist will be a label success. Here we look at four factors that they are likely to be considering. Number one, do you actually draw an audience when you play a gig? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's, you know, we've talked about this in a number of the podcasts, you know, and we'll get into this as we go through the rest of these. But, you know, your comment of, you know, the one video that's, quote unquote, going viral and you're not seeing any other comments and none of the other videos are having any likes, we really do have to look at the totality of something. In fact, anytime something takes off like a rocket ship to the moon, everyone that has a little bit of experience you know, looks out of the corner of their eye and says, okay, what's next? You know, and this is one specific measure. Do you actually draw an audience when you play a gig? That said, I will play devil's advocate to myself. And if you are building an audience, and I think that's one of the things, like you just need to continue to get people to come like more people each and every time you play like if you play your hometown and 20 people show up and the next time 40 people show up and the next time 80 people show up you know it doesn't mean that you have to have this massive audience you just need to have growth in in a trajectory that that sort of makes sense and indicates that you're gonna you're gonna continue in that direction yeah man i mean look this is basic shit 101 right i mean theoretically if you can draw an audience locally that should then in theory translate out into the interwebs right now. But I will say that it's probably not uncommon for a band to put themselves out there and maybe it catches fire in a place that isn't local to them. And that's in this day and age, that's a, that's a real possibility, you know, and I think that with the idea of putting some stock in, you know, looking at band socials and, and their and their growth and their numbers and their view counts and all that shit on the webs of people using that as a barometer of how hot a band is. 
it's a real thing, but like you said, you have to take it in totality of, of what it is. Like, is this a is this a standalone thing, or is it is it translating? You know, are are they are they drawing people uh, elsewhere? You know, can they tour on their own, even if it's only a couple hundred people? Like, is there is their Facebook and their Instagram and their and their YouTube? Is it all consistent, right? Yeah, because it's got to go together. I mean, you can draw you know people in your local audience, but if you can't you know, figure out how to use your socials and begin to grow a presence there. I mean, you know, I've got an artist that, that I'm working with that we recently just signed a deal and they're a little bit older. And so they're not as gung ho on all of the self promotion on the socials. And so sometimes we run into a little bit of a challenge where they've got all the other stuff, but the socials aren't as high as I would like to see them or maybe others on the team would like to see them. And so we're trying to work on ways, you know, to get it there within a realm of, of something that the artist is actually comfortable with. Yeah. Number two, do you connect with an audience in a live show as well as you do in an edited video? Yeah, I mean, this kind of goes back to some of the stuff that I think we've talked about where is there star power is their cohesiveness? Is the band tight? You know, I'll give the example. We may have talked about this um, on here. If not, I, I may have mentioned it on the other podcast I do, you know, O Marks the Spot. But when I went to go see the band Ghost Bath, who I happen to manage, you know, they just absolutely blew me away live. And, you know, they're a band where their first album doesn't even have any lyrics. It's all, you know, there's vocals, but it's all just another instrument. But just the way that they played, how tight they were, how in unison they were, how all of the sounds layered so well, it in fact took me, you know, I already liked the band and it took me to another place with how much, you know, I liked and respected them after that. It's making that line between the band on stage and the crowd. It's making that line invisible, right? Like, just because you learn to play an instrument and you can get in a room with a bunch of dudes and play and get on a stage, just getting on the stage isn't enough. You have to connect the dots, right? Like it's like, it has to be an experience. Like if you're in the audience, if you're a label guy looking for a band, just as a label guy at South by Southwest, you know, this week or whatever, is there electricity? Is there energy? Is the band connecting, right? These are all things. It's like, you're not going there just to watch some band play some songs like on a stage, like staring at their shoes. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you got to connect. Yeah, I mean, it, I'll tell you another example and it's been a few years, but the first time I saw the band We Came as Romans, who um, I ended up managing for a number of years, you know, it was in a really small place. There were people there to see them. I think it was like, you know, in the basement of a church or something. And, I will say they weren't very good. It's one of the bands they were using backing tracks. It seems as if the tracks almost overpowered, you know, the instruments and, and especially the vocals. But I will say what they were doing and how they engaged and interacted with the the fans let me know that they could probably grow into a pretty good band. You know, you and I come from an era where you get in the jam room and there's still plenty of other bands that are out there that do get in the jam room. But there's also a lot of bands that, yeah, I mean, they're formed in over the Internet or on computers or they're writing stuff in, you know, Guitar Pro or Tabit or whatever it is, you know, with the drum machine or, you know, drum programming. And they go record before they've even really figured out how to play. 
But if the music's good enough, and this is what I saw in the case of We Came as Romans, was as they got more tours and played and played and played and played with bigger artists and saw how bigger artists did things a little bit differently, they really came into their own. And by the time I quit working with them, and even now, I would say they're a really good live band, you know, whether you like their music or not. So it's just a, a little bit of an interesting, different take on that. Yep. Number three, are you charming and memorable in off-the-cuff interviews and interactions? Yeah, I mean, this kind of goes back to charisma. You know, I guess it could be multiple members. Yeah, it easily could be multiple members. I mean, it immediately makes me think of Spencer from Ice Nine Kills, another artist who I manage who I think is a very intelligent and, you know, charismatic person and comes off, you know, very charming in interviews. But on the flip side, you got a guy like Mike Schleibaum from Darkest Hour who's not the front man. He's the guitar player but takes care of most of the interviews and that sort of stuff because you know they've learned that he really is the charming and charismatic one and that stuff goes a really long way potentially the reason why he even mentioned this is because now in the days of there being so much content out in the world if there's like a band that you will find or that you're interested in, right, as a, as a record label guy, you're going to go online, you're going to go on YouTube and you're going to find some live videos and you'd be like, oh, wow, man, like, okay, like I like their music and their live videos that someone bootlegged. There's like a couple hundred people there in the audience. Okay, my my interest is peaked, right? But then you go on and, and as the, the YouTube pulls up on the on the right, you know, like interviews pop up and other live videos and their official video and, and all that stuff. But you're going to look at interviews. You go like, how are these guys? Are these guys like, are they smart? Are they charismatic? Are they just dipshits? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and because these things, these things are available to us. So it's important that, you know, you, you make yourself come off like, you know, a well-educated, driven musician slash human being to, to really round out the level of interest that a label might have in you, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and of course, with everything that you and I talk about, uh, from a general perspective, there are exceptions to every single rule and every single thing that you and I, you know, will talk about on here. You know, just when you say all that stuff, oh, you got to be able to handle yourself and carry yourself professionally. You know, there's there's bands who kind of blow up that, you know, all of their interviews are, are jokes or, you know, they take things in a not so serious manner. But, you know, so I just want to be able to point that out and say that even though the tips and tricks that we're going to give you, I think are kind of like the hard rules, you guys all might be able to find an exception to that rule. So I just want to be able to acknowledge that. Sure. Number four, do you actually sound good live? Yeah, I mean, I touched on this a little bit in, in number two, you know, when yep. when I went to see We Came as Romans and then, you know, touch on it again when we talk about, you know, Ghostbath, who sounded great live. I mean, it's definitely important. I will say a huge part of sound and sounding great also has to do with the demographic and the age that, you know, of the fan you are trying to acquire or the scene you fit into when you're playing to 14 to 18 year olds who you know are there for a high energy experience i'm not going to say you shouldn't focus on your sound but it might not be the most important thing to you or or should be the most important thing to you i'm eager to get your opinion on that 
I would add to this of do your songs translate live? I'll give you a specific example. So there's a buddy of mine who was getting some interest from a label and um, and they were like, hey, man, can you can you go in there and maybe like help them with some songs? Because we, we like what they're doing, but like we're not necessarily sold on, you know, what the songs are doing. I was like, yeah. So I went in there with my buddy and, and kind of talked to him and I go, look, man, like your application for your music because he's like he's a local he's a local band guy. Right. Your application for your music is playing live and. You need to cater your songs to what it is that your application is, which is which is playing live, right? And it's like you if you have these songs that are cerebral, maybe don't play those. Like you gotta really create something that's engaging, maybe interactive, cut down the meandering. Like not everyone is gonna wanna take a journey with you, you know, musically speaking, right? So what I was trying to help him uh, uncover was like, as you are only a live band, make it so that it works in that arena. There's always time to get cerebral with your stuff. There's always time to get deep and introspective and have long songs that meander and go places. There's always time for that. But for now, focus in the live environment, focus on stuff that really connects and really translates and can engage an audience. Because if you're engaging, then that's how you build a word of mouth. And the word of mouth is what then will grow and build, you know, more people come in and you go from 20 to 40 to 60 to, you know, 100 people at your gigs. And then that's how a buzz builds. So that's my addition to number four. Yeah, definitely. That's a very good point. Anyway, if there's a yes to all of the above, then A&R will go online and look at the artist online presence. If you have millions of views, for instance, even if some of those views are bought, Chances are that there's still a buzz happening and the label will take notice. Have lots of likes, shares, and followers across a number of platforms, then that's going to confirm that there's a lot going on than meets the eye. Your online presence is important and it's absolutely necessary, but it's not the only thing when it comes to getting the music industry to notice you. A record deal can come from a massive online presence, but more and more, it's what's on stage that counts. Damn straight. And, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I mean, look, to summarize, it's like just going back to focusing on what the most important thing is, and that's you as a band and how you translate live, because that's the core of everything, right? I mean, like, you don't necessarily have to have the best songs at the beginning. You don't have to have the best produced demos. You, you know what I mean? But like if you're thinking that a record deal is what's going to be a be all end all goal for you, then you need to just focus on the basics and making sure that you kick ass live and that your songs engage and translate. That's my uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, how do you get there? You get there by doing it. You practice, you play shows, you play good shows, bad shows, backyard shows, wherever you can play, whatever makes sense, you know, to hone your craft. And hopefully you're really enjoying it and it doesn't seem like it's some uphill battle or uphill slog. And eventually when that time is right and all of these other things come together, then, as you said, if, if being signed is what you want, you should be in a much better place to actually attain that. Damn straight. Well, thanks to everyone for tuning in. 
We will be back here next week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Blasco1313. We encourage you to email us any questions or comments you may have for the podcast to me directly at askblasco at gmail.com. Because, hey, people, we do the show for you. Consider it a tool for understanding this ever so challenging and confusing business of music. If you have listened this far, much respect to you for making efforts to educate yourselves and taking your future into your own hands. Mike, any final parting thoughts? I just want to continue to say thanks to everybody that tunes in. You know, as I said, down at South by Southwest, got a lot of great feedback from people who are listening and got a lot of inspiration for future episodes. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike O'Loop. Uh, We would gladly love for you to find us on iTunes and give us a rating and a review. And I'm really excited to let everybody know that, you know, this is a perfect episode to, to really, you know, dovetail in with the coaching platform that I'm on. We've got the first quote unquote product up online now. You can find that at outerloopcoaching.com slash sign up. And the title of it is 60 Days to Signable. So on a week-by-week basis, on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, we will be walking through a number of topics as to how to get your band in the right position and place to, to get signed. So I'm really looking forward to that. Hell yeah. Thanks, everybody. All right. Have a good one. Are you interested in what it takes to get the attention of record labels, managers, and other industry professionals who can help your band grow? Let me... Hey, this is Chris Santos, host of Delirious Nomads, the Blacklight Media Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Delirious Nomads is a podcast about all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports. And me being a chef and all, we'll be riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com.